Well, at this time, the sprouts can be dismissed, children, kindergarten, and younger. And let's give our um, sprout workers a hand for their service to our children uh, each, each week. I had uh, the delight as a parent last week to hear my uh, six-year-old quote a, uh, I don't even remember what the reference was, but quoted a, a Bible verse that I hadn't memorized by heart and um, just rolled right off of her tongue, something that she learned in Sprouts. Uh, So it is so good to be part of this growing, budding church, seeing God put a church together here in the middle of Baltimore, uh, and and a church that also is caring for our children and raising up our kids. So really appreciate uh, Megan and all of her work, and each one of you who works with the Sprouts each each week. Um, We thank you for that. Also, just uh, as we were worshiping, uh, a thought that came to my mind um, I uh, uh, was watching a documentary about the uh, worship in the uh, um, in in Asia, um, in parts of the, this world where uh, it is not easy, not comfortable to be a Christian. And uh, this particular church would uh, meet literally underground um, in a basement that was hot. Uh, they, there was a, uh, one, one little light that would light the room, and they would pack into this room and for three or four hours worship, uh, listen to the teaching of the Word, and it would be just uncomfortable, hot uh, environments. Uh, and, and so as I'm, 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 I'm one that hates the heat, okay? I... I, I sometimes wonder if I should have planted a church in Maine or something, or Alaska maybe. Uh, the reality is, is it's getting warmer. And I do want to say this. Just as, this is an exhortation to myself as well to each one of us. Let's not let sort of the, uh, that American desire for comfort drive us this summer or distract us uh, from the beauty and the wonder of coming together, uh, cramming into a room, so to speak, where it's hot, and worshiping God. May we have that kind of joy that drives our brothers and sisters in much of the world uh, where, uh, where it's very difficult. And uh, I know we're just at the beginning of summer, but I felt like it would be good to, to say that as we're in a building with no, no AC. Um, but I really don't want, I want to be a church uh, that, uh, where we're driven by our true joy of being together and worshiping the Lord. Amen. Uh, turn to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. And today we are looking uh, deeper. We sort of went over big picture of Jesus teaching on prayer, fasting, and giving to the needy. Today we're diving into the prayer section and we're focusing on what we call the Lord's Prayer. And so look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 13 with me. I'm going to read it. Then we're going to pray, just ask God to open our eyes, and then we'll dive into the passage this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as your blood-bought, redeemed, forgiven sons and daughters. We have been adopted into your family uh, in, 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 in this world that we live in, in this fallen world, in our flesh, we hardly even know what that means. Uh, we get glimpses of it. We see the truth of it here in the scriptures. We experience it here and there. Uh, but the reality is, is, is that we, we, are, uh, we, we have a long way to go in understanding what it means to be your children um, to come to you as your children, to talk to you as, as our Father. Uh, Lord, we repent of how often we, we forget what we're doing when we pray. 
we forget who we're talking to. God, as we come before you now, uh, as we look into your word, we ask that you give us the grace to understand what this Lord's prayer uh, means for us today. As Jesus, uh, as his desire was to teach us how to pray, God, I pray that you will teach us how to pray this morning. That we will be convicted of um, our, our lack of faith, our, our lack of care, our uh, lack of desire to pray. Uh, that we then won't be left with guilt or a burden or a to-do list to pray more, but that we will uh, uh, truly just find more delight in coming before you and uh, in, in prayer, personal as well as public prayer life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, this last Monday morning, uh, my Memorial Day plans of nothingness were uh, interrupted at about 9.30, got a text message from a friend in the neighborhood who said that a guy that we both know was shot and only had a little bit of time left. So I spent my entire Monday morning at the hospital. The friend asked me to come and, and pray with the family. Um, one of the most difficult tasks of a pastor is when someone has a few hours left and you're asked to come and pray. So on the elevator, fourth floor, I think it's fourth floor, shock trauma, University of Maryland. As the elevator doors are about to open, it, it, this sort of common thought, I don't want to call it a panic, but it's kind of like a panic, this thought hits me, oh my goodness, what am I going to say? What am I going to pray? Um, why am I coming here to pray? What am I about to walk into? What's the family going to think when I pray? Who am I praying to when I pray? Who, am I, who, who do I want to hear me? when I walk into this room. Prayer. It's, it's interesting. A couple thoughts that I was left with. One, um, in these moments of tragedy, when uh, a friend is shot and only has a little bit of time left, Uh, it, it, even my most secular friends all of a sudden believe in prayer. Like, we'll give it a shot. Let's, let's see if prayer can help something. Um, and then the other thing I was left with was this. <clears throat> prayer in and of itself, the action in and of itself, really is powerless. The only thing that matters is who we're praying to. Who is hearing our prayers? Uh, so with all of that said, I want to dive in today to Jesus' teaching on prayer. Why do we pray? What do we pray? Who are we praying to? I want, I want to just zoom right in right now to verse 9. Look at verse 9 with me. Jesus says these four words. He says, when you pray... He says, pray then like this. Pray then like this. So what Jesus is doing here, the goal of the, the Lord's Prayer, which we often recite here as a church as part of our worship, the goal of it is to actually teach us how to pray. Pray then like this. So Jesus' goal in in giving us this Lord's Prayer is to teach us how to pray, so then we could therefore say our goal this morning is that we allow Jesus to learn, or to teach us how to pray. Um, two opening statements that I want to open with as we dive in. Number one is this. Jesus here is in fact teaching us how to pray. Now there's nothing that's more offensive to the American Christian than to suggest 
that they need to learn how to pray. That maybe we don't know how to pray very well. Like, we have bought this idea. I think it's arisen over the last hundred years or so. We've bought this idea that any prayer is fine. Any prayer is fine as long as your heart is sincere. Meaning, okay, you can, you can talk to me about my eating habits. You can address my dating habits. But don't touch my prayer life, okay? That's like personal between me and God sort of stuff. And you, 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 you can't talk to me about that. You can't suggest that I can learn how to pray better. It just seems, doesn't that seem foreign to, foreign to us as Americans? I mean, it seems foreign to me. I mean, as soon as I start even preparing this and thinking about how to pray, there's this, like this, this re- American reaction that I have. Like, I know how to pray. It's just right here in my, in my heart, as long as it's sincere. Uh, and so then we, we don't think about our prayers, and we just say, and we actually have this idea that if we think about our prayer before we pray it, like if we actually plan a prayer or if we structure it, or if we think about what we're going to pray, we actually think it's less sincere, all right? So, so we trade then a well-thought-out prayer for a prayer uh, that contains, we're going to call it the, litur- the liturgy of the just, all right? So, God, I just, 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 thank you. Just, you're just so awesome. You're just, and God, as we just, we just want you to just, just come, just Amen. That was so sincere, from the heart, all right? And so, so evidently, God likes prayers with a lot of justs in them, right? The liturgy of the just. What, what I think Jesus is saying, and this is, we're just kind of getting the offensive part out of the way, okay? So if you guys think this whole sermon is going to be offensive to you, uh, this is just this, this section of the sermon that's offensive, the offensive part is that we might not know how to pray very well. All right, let's just kind of humbly come to the table and say we can probably, probably learn a little bit more how to pray, and we will submit ourselves to the teaching of Jesus this morning and allow Jesus to teach us a thing or two about prayer. Amen? So are we ready for that? So this is, uh, well, the second statement, that was the first statement that he's teaching us how to pray. The second opening statement is that this is a model prayer. All right, it's a, it's a pattern, meaning... Or if, if you look at it, pray then, he says, like this. He doesn't say, pray then this. When you pray, pray this, these words, every time. Every time you go to pray, close your eyes, pray these words, our Father who art in heaven, help me, as if, we're, as if he's giving us some kind of uh, written thing that it's the only words that we can ever use. This is a, it's a, it's a model, all right? It's, it's a pattern of prayer. So he's saying, when you pray, Pray like this. Here's an example of a prayer. There's a pattern here to it. And what we're about to see in this Lord's Prayer, as we call it, or we could call it the model prayer. Some people prefer that. As what we see here in this Lord's Prayer is a pattern of prayer that I would say, and I submit this morning, that all prayer should, uh, should follow. Or another way to put it is there are elements in here that every prayer should contain. Does that make sense? And here are the three parts to this pattern that we see that we're going to work through. The first one is, number one, to know who you're praying to. Know who you're praying to. The second part is, as you pray, God first, God-centeredness first, God-centered requests first, and then practical needs. And the, the third part is practical needs. Pray for your practical needs. And then we might be able to add a fourth. I'm still not sure. I've kind of been going back and forth on the fourth one. The fourth one would be return back to praise, to doxology. Uh, and we'll get into that. So the first one, first part in this pattern of prayer to teach us how to pray. Number one, know who you are praying to. The Greeks in Jesus' day had a number of gods they would see praying to the gods as sort of beckoning this multitude of complex foreign deities that lived far, far away in a distant land. So sort of like us here in Baltimore, we're asked to go to a hospital, pray, 
in a hospital room, and then we are beckoning, we're praying to these, this multitude of gods that say live in the Bahamas, all right? And they don't even know you. And really, they don't even like you very much. You are kind of a nuisance to them. But if you pray the right words, and if you pray enough words, and if you call them on all, in all of the right ways, then they just might care and hear you and answer your prayer. So that's how the Greeks saw going, to prayer, going into prayer. That's what prayer was to them. Jesus addresses that. Look at verse 7. He says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. The reason he said Gentiles there is because he's referring to the Greeks. There, there are many words that they would use to beckon these gods in the Bahamas. We have to, we have to use many words so just Maybe they will hear us and they will listen to us. He says, don't be like them, for they use many words. That's what he's referring to there. He's not referring here to somebody that prays a long prayer. You know, sometimes we take that and we say, oh, that means you should never pray a long prayer. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, this is about who you're praying to. Know who you're praying to. You don't need to pray you know, in such a way that's like all of these words to beckon these gods in the Bahamas. Instead, he says, verse 8, he says, don't be like them, for your father, your fa- everybody say your father, say that, knows what you need before you ask him. He's saying, look, the gods aren't out in the Bahamas hanging out, believing that you're a nuisance. He's saying this, when you pray, know this, your father, you have a father who already knows what you need. So he wants us then, unlike the Greeks, he wants us to come into prayer with confidence. To know that we are coming before our Father, the Creator. Father. Now the Jews, on the other hand, so that was the Greeks. The Jews, when they would, they, when they would come to pray, they would uh, use these big sort of magnificent terms such as Sovereign Lord, King of the Universe. Good terms for God. But they would never dream of using an intimate word like Abba, Father. This would have been extraordinarily shocking to Jesus' fellow first century Jews. To call God Father? Like, how, how dare you? How, how dare you? Believe that you can come with that kind of intimacy to the king of the universe. How dare you believe that you can come with that kind of confidence to the, to the, to the sovereign Lord? I mean, how dare us even believe that we can approach the throne of God, all right? The creator God, the God that's in the heavens, the God that does whatever he pleases, How dare we believe that we can even approach this God, much less call him Father when we do. Come with that kind of intimacy, that kind of confidence in who we're approaching. Listen, I want you to see this in that first statement. Our Father. Our Father in heaven. Jesus is saying something right there about his mission in this world. He's saying something about his mission in this world. Because on, on one hand, to some degree, his, his, his Jewish counterparts would have been right. Like, how dare you? Like, how can we come before God in, in such a way, with that kind of intimacy? The, the thrice holy God, the creator of this universe, the God who is completely righteous. How can me, someone who's a sinner, come before him? What Jesus is saying here is something extraordinary about himself. That because he is here, and as, he, as he's announcing this kingdom, he's saying we can now come and call God Father. Why? The book of John, chapter 1, verse 12. To all who receive him, Jesus, the one preaching here, to all who receive him, to all who believe on his name, he gave the right to become children of of God through Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life on our behalf. When he died on the cross, he bought us. We are the blood-bought 
redeemed, adopted children of God because of Christ. Christ is our mediator. I dare not approach God, stand before God, much less call him Father without a mediator. But Jesus stands and lives and exists as our mediator between us and God. He connects us so that we can come to God and call him Father, so that we can pray our Father. Now let me explain why this general point is important of who we're praying to. Jesus wants us to know who we're praying to. This is important because it is common today for us to say things like or hear things like, uh, quote, prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful, common phrase, that we, without a lot of thought, would tend to agree with. Like, how do you deny that statement? Prayer is powerful. It's hard to not say amen to that. Prayer is powerful. Now, what I submit, what I think Jesus is, in some ways, sort of under, under the radar, getting at here is this. The action of prayer alone, prayer alone, in, in and of itself, is actually powerless. All right? Prayer is not powerful in and of itself. Meaning this, if, we're all, if, 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 if we just bow our heads and we just start praying, praying with words, praying with many words, hoping that there's a God that's going to... In and of itself, the action in and of itself produces nothing. Prayer is powerful. So when we all bow our heads in a hospital room, or when we watch a prayer, a public prayer on television... Are we quick to celebrate that and say prayer is powerful? What what we need to see is this, and I'm kind of walking carefully here. What we need to see is this. Our power is not in the action of prayer alone. That's what Jesus is preaching against. To believe that there is this action that will make something happen for us. Our power is not in the act of prayer alone. Our power is in the God to whom we are praying. You see, prayer is not powerful. God is powerful. Now, prayer, what we're going to see is access to God, who is powerful. So the, the question isn't whether or not we're praying. The question isn't whether or not we have a, a country that prays or a school that prays. The question at the core is, when we pray, who are we praying to? That's the question. And that's what Jesus starts out with. Our Father, who art in heaven. This great King, the creator of the universe, the God, not on earth in this physical realm, but in the heavens. He is our Father. And we come to Him as Father. Number two, So the first sort of bit of this pattern, the first element is who we're praying to. The second one is this, God-centeredness first and then the practical. God first before our practical needs. Now, man, I've been picking on America a lot this morning, and I don't mean to, but because we're American, we tend to be so focused on the practical things, don't we? I mean, we are a busy population. And we have a lot of things on our to-do list. We have a lot of needs. We have a lot of bills that have to be paid. We have a lot of tests that need to be taken, degrees that need to be earned, uh, jobs that need to be found. There are a lot of things on our to-do list. And so the first thing when we come into prayer, the first thing we think of is what? It's our practical needs, right? It is such a temptation for us to to, to go into prayer and to just jump right into the practical. God, help me with this. Help me with that. Get me through this. Give me this. We just jump right into the practical. I remember uh, my, my prayer life as like a teenager in high school. Like that's all it consisted of. And it pretty much was when I was sitting down to take a test. Like ma- a ma- math test. I hated math. So I would sit down to take a math test. And, and I, didn't, I, you know, I hadn't studied. And I didn't know the formulas. And then I would pray, God, give me the knowledge that I need to pass this. Right? And I actually believe, like, please, 
pull, and you know what? In God's grace, amen? Like sometimes, I mean, we pray stupid prayers all the time and thank God we have a mediator. In His grace. But, but Jesus doesn't want us to just jump straight into the practical. So, what, so look what He does. First, we, we move into this God-centeredness. Look at it. There are three statements. There are three requests that, that Jesus prays here that we are to, to pattern ourselves after. The first one is this. Our, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? What does it mean to hallow the name of God? It means, that word hallowed means holy or to make holy. Your name. Think of the name of God. In the Jewish context, the names meant a lot. So it was the truth. The name meant the truth of your personality. And so the fact that God's name was Yahweh, I am, let, let that, that truth that you are, let that be made separate and holy and beautiful and wondrous. I am the provider. Jehovah Jireh, I am the, the, the healer. The name of Jesus, I am salvation. Holy is your name and the truth that's contained therein. What this, what this is saying right here as we begin our prayer, it's saying this, the reality, God, of who you are, the truth of who you are, is so much greater than the reality of who I am. The, 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 the truth, the reality of your personhood and your name is infinitely more valuable than my personhood and my name. You are greater than me. So before we then ask God, before we go and jump into the practical, what we're doing is we're saying, God, you are the most splendid. Let your name be most glorified. Solo Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory, not to me. J.I. Packer said this about that one line. He said, he said, if you understand this right here, hallowed be thy name, the wonder, the holiness of the truth of God, if we understand this, he says, and we make it our own, he says, you have unlocked the secret of both prayer and life. So see what happens now. All of our praying, all of our petitions, all, our, our practical needs, it now all falls behind the great name of God. Who He is. The truth of who He is. Hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Look at it. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Not my kingdom come. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the reign of God manifested in Jesus Christ. So Jesus has come. The kingdom of God is now open. The reign of God manifested in Christ. So what does it mean then that we're praying for God's kingdom to come? What it means is this. We're praying that the reign of Christ be spread across this planet. That more and more people come under the reign of Christ. Let's put this into more practical terms. It means that we're praying that the gospel goes forward. That the gospel is proclaimed. So it's, he's saying this. Be, before we get into our practical needs, we, we want God's broader, big picture needs to go forward. The gospel, the reign of Christ, we want that first and foremost. So all of my needs now fall behind the mission of promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And where do we see the kingdom of God? You see, it's popular today to talk about the kingdom of God in, in, in some uh, physical ways. And so we'll say things like, we, we as Christians, we are to be about building the kingdom of God. That's not good language to use. We, as Christians, we don't build the kingdom. All through the scriptures, the kingdom is something that we receive. The kingdom is something that God is building. The kingdom is something that God is doing. And so what we do is we see the building of the kingdom and then we proclaim it. And what are we proclaiming? What are we seeing? I heard someone recently say, you don't see the kingdom of God on CNN. What he meant by that is this. We're not going to watch the news and see events and see the kingdom of God coming to earth. Where do we go if we want to see the kingdom of God? The place we go 
are the places where chains are being rattled and sinners are being set free from a life of running toward death. Where the gospel is taking root in the lives where, like a couple weeks ago when we had baptisms and we had some brothers and sisters stand up here before us and say, I once was chained, I was bound, but now all I have is Christ. That's where we see the kingdom coming to earth. Where the gospel of Christ, the reign of Christ is taking root in people's lives. And so our praying then begins with that. God, may your kingdom come. May your reign take over the lives. May you rattle the chains of hell. May you set people free. May your kingdom come. May, look at it, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, not whose? Not mine. Your will be done, not mine. So be, again, before we're getting into the practical, God, may your will be done. I have a will. I have my desires. At the end of the day, God, may your will be done. This means I'm submitting myself to your will. To your revealed will, I'm going to be obedient to it. And the will that I have yet to see, I'm going to seek it. May your will be done on earth right here around us. As it is in heaven, as it's already played out in heaven, bring it to earth. Do you see how this opening of this prayer, this, the, or we, really it's the first half, the first half of Jesus' model prayer, do you see how that now that sets us up well to enter into our practical requests? Well, I mean, do you see how we're not going to be using God now as a genie? After we have just prayed, Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name and your personhood and your truth. You are so infinitely greater and more significant than I am. You alone are to be glorified. May your kingdom come. May the reign of Christ, your reign through Christ spread throughout all of the globe. May the chains of the darkest places of sin rattle and be broken free. May your will be done. What the, the played out will in heaven, may it come to earth May I see it. May I submit myself to your will and to your reign, to your kingship. Do you see now how that sets us up well to now even have the right state of mind to go into, in, into our practical needs, to begin praying, God, I need help with this. Do you see how it keeps us from using God as just a genie and using prayer as just a tool to get what we want? So now he does. Practical needs are important. And I, guys, like, I relish in the moments where I just am before, am before God and, and just vocalizing my practical needs. God, I need help with this. I have flyers that have to get passed out this week. I don't want to do it. I need help. Practical needs are important. And it's interesting, the, the second half of the prayer is practical needs. He doesn't start, he, or he, I'm sorry, let me back up. He has both practical spiritual needs and practical physical needs. What's interesting to me, we would think he would start with practical spiritual needs and work down from there. He actually starts with practical physical needs. So let's never feel guilty for praying for our practical physical needs to be met. So Jesus starts with this, this practical section with our physical. And look at the words, look at the text, look at the, uh, the authentic, realistic simplicity of how he prays, of how we, we go into prayer and ask God for our practical needs to be met. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Give us today our bread, our daily bread. Bread was the common food. It was the food of the Jewish people in Jesus' day. And so to pray this prayer, what it's saying is this. is like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a general broad request saying, God, the sum of what I need to get through this day, would you, would you give it to me? Would you meet my physical needs today? I'm hungry. Can you give me the bread that I need? I, I, I need money to buy for my family, to provide for my family. Can you, can you provide for me today? Can you make sure that my needs, my family's fed today? My shelter. Can, can you give me a place to stay warm tonight? Can you meet my needs today, my, my mental needs, my health needs? Can you provide for me so I can have the energy? I mean, all of these big things, God-centered things that we just prayed, so we can have the energy to be about these things. 
to be about spreading the gospel. Give me the energy. Give me what I need. Just, just keep me moving in this world. Meet my needs. Now, I also want you to see this. He says, give us this day. He doesn't say, give us this day my bread for the next year. Now, that's typically how we pray, isn't it? We don't want bread for today. Oh, we've already got that. All right? We're, we're talking about bread next month. All right? We want bread for the year. We want bread for the rest of our life. We don't want to have to worry about having bread anymore. We want to be set. Amen? Well, we're going to talk about worry in two weeks. Anxiety over the future. Jesus doesn't want us to think about tomorrow in that sense. He wants us to just pray for today. And guys, I really believe this. And this is something that's been transforming my own prayer life. Pray that your needs are met today. Now, if there are things, I mean, there, there are things that we have to do. You know, a, a test that has to be passed, or flyers that have to be put out, or uh, a job that needs to be found, or kids, that we've got to find a school for them, a place to live, a, a new apartment, or a house. There are things that are in the future, and yes, we, we are relying on God for those things, but what we're praying for is that we, whatever it is in the future that we do today, that we're faithful today, that we, today, like, if, if, if I need a job, okay, today I've got to get an application. So God, give me the strength today to walk in and pick up an application, all right? We've got to provide for our family. God, give me the strength today to go into the kitchen and make some bread. We've got to put the flyers out. God, give me the strength today to print them. Do you see what I'm saying? So what we're doing is we're looking at today and we're saying, God, I've got these things. Give me what I need today to move through. And I'm going to trust you with tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? So that is our practice. That's how we practically come before God. And he wants us to do that. This is as a child and a father. Because some people will say this. Some people will say, well, why do we have to do that at all? Because it already said in verse 7 that God already knows what we need. So why even go to him? Well, the answer is simply this. When we pray and we bring our needs before God, it's not like we're telling him something he didn't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, God, I, uh, I got fired and I need another job. And God's like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know that. Thanks for telling me. That's good. No, we, don't, we, we already know that he knows. We're not, we're not telling him something he doesn't already know. We're coming to him as a child would come to her father. Now, as a father, I can attest to this. My children, even though they know that I am going to feed them, they know that I know that they need to eat, it doesn't keep them from asking for food. Parents, amen? I mean, my kids are really good at asking for everything. I'm hungry. Can I eat? Not yet. You will. Can I eat now? Yes. Three hours later, I'm hungry. Wait a little bit. Can I have some more food? I need a drink. Can you tuck me in? Kids, they, they, they ask for, for the needs to be met that we already know are there. Sometimes they ask for things that, you know, uh, can I have this candy? Well, sure, go ahead. I wasn't going to give it to him. You see, God wants us to come with the simplicity of a child to a father and, and simply ask, God, meet this need. Thank you, for, thank you for meeting my last need. Thank you for providing for me. Would you keep doing it? Would you keep providing? Would you keep feeding me? I need to eat. I'm hungry. Dinner's coming. Can I, just, just as a child, ask. And then he moves into our spiritual, practical needs which are there that we often look over and we shouldn't. Look at the next one. He says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean a cause and effect relationship. It doesn't mean like if you forgive somebody, then God will forgive you. It, it, it sounds like that. It also sounds like that in verse 14 and 15. But Jesus has further explained this through a story later on. And what he explains is this. The person that doesn't forgive is someone who is clearly not forgiven. 
Because if you know the forgiveness of God, then you will forgive others. And friends, I think this is often where many of us need to be convicted. Do we realize? Do, do we know the forgiveness of God? Do we know the depth of our sin? And so then, we're, daily then, we're coming before God and we're saying, God, forgive us our debts. Now we say, wait a second, I thought my sins have already been forgiven once and for all. And that's true, they have. But remember, we're coming here to God not as the judge, we're coming to Him as a father, okay? So the story that we need to keep in mind here is the story of the prodigal son. The son who was off, the son who squandered his father's goods, the, the son who believed that it was better to live with the pigs than, than in his father's home. Finally, he came home and he found his father, arms wide open, embracing him. Listen, we are prodigals. And so every day we go before God as a prodigal saying, Father, forgive me. Listen, as a dad, as a father, this, one of the sweetest things I can get is a I'm sorry note from my kids. I mean, it, I, I wasn't going to like kick him out of the house, but how sweet it is to receive that note. I'm sorry. God wants us to come daily as prodigals saying, God, getting out the construction paper and the crayons. Father, Daddy, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being mean today. I'm sorry for ignoring you today. I'm sorry for doubting you today. I'm sorry. This, this family relationship, father and a child. And then lastly, his last practical request, another spiritual one, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That word temptation uh, could better be translated testing. So God doesn't tempt us into sin as the, as the devil does. This is a word that refers to testing. Lead us not into testing, the testing of our faith, which God does give us testing. Think of like a driver's exam. Think Marco's got a driver's exam coming up soon, right? When he sits and he does that exam, where he's, he's going to be tested. Hopefully he'll do better than I did on my first exam. Failed it for speeding on my driver's exam. What we're saying is, God, keep us from these moments where we, where we are tested and where we might speed and fail the test. Like these moments of, of our faith where our faith is tested, it's, it's trials, it's hard, and we do, we, 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 we do often use that as an opportunity to slide into sin. Deliver us from that. Keep us from these testings so that we might not slip into evil, so that we might not sin. Why are we praying that God keeps us from evil? It's because we are praying that there would be no disconnect, nothing between us and God. And friends, that is the purpose of this entire prayer. The whole focus of this pattern, this model prayer, is that we, that we come before God and we say, let's just make sure there's nothing there. Let's make sure there's nothing between God and us. That is the point of this prayer. Now, as, as, as a, or I'm sorry, before I go there, let me, let me just say this really quickly. Some of you might be saying this, where is the for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever? Amen. Um, that is a, an additional note that may or may not have been in the manuscripts, the original manuscripts, may or may not have come out of Jesus' mouth. However, either way, it's a very good little summary. That's why I said my fourth point I wasn't sure about. It's a very fitting way to end this prayer. So we have said, big God, God-centered, you are king. To you alone be the glory. Your name alone, your kingdom, your will. Meet my needs. I trust that you're going to meet my needs today, that you're going to get me through today. Uh, even if there's a Puritan, Richard Baxter, tells the story of this little girl. Uh, she, she says, um, she's starving, and she says to her mom, Mommy, is God going to let us starve? And the mom says, no, of course God's not going to let us starve. And she says, well, if he does, we should still praise him. Well, how can that little girl say that? It's because she gets that big stuff at the beginning, right? Your will be done. And even if you don't meet the requests, even if I don't get the bread that I need, I will still praise you. 
that, that God will not allow us to drift. He will not allow us to go to hell. He will keep us on this path. He will be glorified. His kingdom will come. His reign will come. Now all of that, a very fitting ending is, for thine is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And yours is the glory forever. Amen. Leads us back into doxology. Leads us back into praise. Now, going from there, uh, as a pastor, uh, I often am sitting with folks who are struggling with prayer. And I've struggled with prayer my, myself in my own my own walk. And often the question that comes up, and the question that comes up in my own mind at times, is what good is it? Like, really, why? I mean, what? I, I'm not, I'm praying, but I'm not seeing a lot of things change in my life. You know, I'm praying for this person, but I'm not seeing them change. I'm praying for the church, but there's, there's heartbreak. I'm praying for our city, yet people are still getting shot. I'm, what good is prayer if I'm not seeing the things happen? Let me, let me try to answer that in this way. Um, I believe that what we see here in this Lord's Prayer is Jesus saying prayer is not a tool to be used for whatever you want. Prayer is not a tool to be pulled out of your back pocket whenever you want God, as if God's on standby just waiting for you to come and talk to him, as if he's lonely and just, man, wish somebody would come and talk to me because, man, it's all about them and I will give them whatever they ask for, their kingdom, their glory, their will. Prayer is not just a tool. So then why should we pray? Um, Imagine you came across a fish. And let's say the fish had followed the lead of some other fish who said that life is better out of the water and on the land. It's better, life is better as a land animal. And so you come across, you're, you're just walking down the street and down by the harbor, say, and, and you see this fish just kind of crawling around, doing his thing, trying to be an animal, a land animal. And his, he's all dried out. His scales are getting weird looking. Kind of gasping for something. What do, what do fish gasp for? I don't know. I'm not a fish guy. And you say, um, brother, go back in the water. And then he's like, why? Like, what, what, what benefit is there to, for me to be in the water? Like, it's actually more exciting out here. I want to be, be like a dog. I want to hang out with the cats. All right? And I get water. I mean, I use water. I bathe once in a while to, to sort of keep my scales wet. I'm doing all right. I'm surviving. Why do I need to go back in the water? And you're like, man, like, I, don't, I can't think right now an immediate practical, like, reason. But I just want to say this. Like, you were created to swim in the water. Like, that's your natural environment. You were created to swim like instead of crawling on your side, pushing with your little tail, you were created, created to wiggle that thing in the water and to swim with a school of other fish through a coral reef. Like that's the way you were created to live. So you'll be happiest swimming in the water as opposed to trying to be a land animal. That, such it is with prayer. Why should we pray? Well, it's because this. Prayer is our most natural state of living. It is the most natural thing we can do. And to use prayer then, to see prayer and to use prayer as a mere tool to get what we want, it would be like a fish trying to live on the land using water, taking a bath occasionally just to keep his scales wet. Now get back in the water. You see, Adam and Eve, they were created to do what? To commune with God. They walked with God every day. They were swimming in the coral reef of God, of communion with God. That was prayer. That's what they were created to do. What happened? How do we go from swimming in the coral reef of God's presence and communion with Him to this sort of rugged, godless individualism? What happened? It's because Adam and Eve believed that the land was better. They believed that getting out of the water 
and going their own way was better. And guys, we've been buying that lie ever since. Friends, what I want you to see this morning is that prayer is the natural state that we have been created to live in. And friends, what I want you to see is this. Christ came, the the preacher of this sermon right here, came into this world so that we may jump back in the water. He came and He lived the life of prayer that we should have lived. He lived the unbroken communion with God. Amen. And when Christ went to the cross, when He bled, when He died, He took our brokenness, He took our lack of communion, our, our, He took all of our dumb prayers, He took it all on Him. He paid the penalty, He rose again, defeating it, inviting us now into the kingdom, into His reign so that we may once again swim in communion with God. The cross says that we have access to the throne of God as His children. The cross says that we are heading back into that swimming kind of relationship with God. One preacher said, don't ever pray stupid prayers. When I hear that, I think, man, like every prayer I pray is stupid. Thank God for sending His Son into this world. Like how could I stand before this thrice holy God and then somehow muddle out a prayer that sounds nice and that sounds appealing to His ears that would make Him want to listen to me and, 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 and would allow me to delight in Him? How can I do that? I can't. And so God sent His Son into this world. Because of Christ we can Because of Christ, our stupid prayers become beautiful prayers to the ears of God as we come before Him as His little children. Because of Christ, we can pray. We can come knowing that He will listen, that He will meet our needs. Because of Christ, we can pray and and give Him doxology and praise and simply adore Him for His beauty and submit to His will. Because of Christ, we can pray our Father, because of Christ, because He stood in our place and He stands as the mediator between us, because all who receive Him and all who believe in His name are adopted as children of God. Because of Jesus, we can pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are good. We thank you for this opportunity to come and to study this pattern, this this model prayer that your son gave us. God, continue to teach us to pray. I pray that we will walk out of here uh, without feeling guilt for not praying, without feeling a burden that we have to add 10 more minutes of prayer into our day, but we will just enter into a delightful communion with you that we will long to just be with you. Create that desire in us. Create that longing in us. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Christ. We thank you that he made it possible for us to come to you as Father. And it's in his name and through him that we pray. Amen.